This is episode 27 with Brad Ness. G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on your impactful journey. Brad Ness is a five-time Paralympian and Paralympic gold medalist in the sport of wheelchair basketball and was captain of the Australian team for many years. He's a motivational speaker, successful business owner, and has a strong passion to enhance the lives of Aboriginal communities and kids with a disability. In this episode, you will learn the concepts of proud versus pride, how mentors and coaches have shaped his life in and out of sport, and a philosophy on the underlying causative factor of bullying, which is the jig effect, jealousy, insecurity, greed. I've known Brad, or Nessie as we call him, for nine years now, and we begin the chat with him speaking another language that he's fluent in, reflecting on our first time together when we were teammates in the Beijing 2008 Paralympics in a very proud and happy state celebrating victory. Mamma mia. Che tempo era incredibile, eh, uno momento eh, più fantastico della mia vita, assolutamente, e una, una due settimane io mai dimenticata. So, this said, eh, what an unbelievable moment in my life, it's a couple of weeks that I'll never ever forget, and it was probably the most fantastic time I've, I've had. And why is that? So, you won a gold medal at the Beijing Paralympic Games. Yeah. I think a couple of things to it. One, that you won the gold medal, so you've got that symbol, I suppose, that you won the gold medal. But I think if you actually dig deeper to it, what it is was that the fact that we'd, we'd had silver come second, got given a medal for losing, <laughs> put it that way. It takes a while to get your head around winning so a, a silver medal. So that was in Athens in 2004. So, yeah, you lose a game and you get a medal and it's hard to actually... It takes a while to get over the loss but then realise you've done something special. But... We sat on a balcony in the Athens village after, after that game and we made a pact as a group. And as cliche as it sounds, we actually, st- actually stuck to that pact and said we're going to do whatever necessary to go to uh, Beijing in four years' time and go one better. And if you look at the team that went from Athens to Beijing, it was pretty much the same. Um, we had a change of coach right at the last moment, but... Everyone did sacrifice. People missed weddings. They missed funerals. They, they, they cut um, honeymoon short. They, you know, every, everyone who put the, the Australian wheelchair basketball team first for four years, and that's what it took. And to be a part of that and to see that and be on that journey for four years, I suppose is why you, you see the goosebumps. I love that too. And I was actually going to allude to the Athens and London silver medals to ask you, but you just answered that. If you did win the silver or if you lost the gold? Yeah, you, you lose a gold. You win a bronze, you win a gold, you win a bronze. And like, I'm, like, I'm proud of my two silver medals, immensely proud. But just knowing that in the back of your mind, you sort of think, I could have done something more. 
maybe you couldn't. Maybe the other team was better on the day. But London, look, Athens was just a great experience, but London definitely is. Yeah, it's something that yeah, still sort of stuck in the back of my throat sort of thing. It's, one of the, it's definitely the one that got away. And let's go back then to the gold because I just mentioned it and your eyes started to get teary. You got goosebumps on those big arms of yours so there's obviously and you just talked about some of the sacrifices or choices actually that the athletes made for that journey through to Beijing I really want to dive deep though because there's more behind it and that's great because it's a surface level thing and like you've got that you win a gold medal and that's the reward but there's so much more that goes into it yeah look the thing is it's the pride you know so you know you're Australian you're bred into sport whether you like it or not even with the changing of culture here in Australia, you know, before it was a lot of it was football, cricket, rah, rah. Now it's soccer. Like the, the culture of soccer is huge here, or football as it's called worldwide. You know, like whether whether you like it or not, that's it. And if you represent Australia in sport, it's something that's you know they say the captain of the Australian cricket team's got more influence than the prime minister. So that's the sort. That's the way I especially look. Especially in India. <laughs> especially in India. Yeah. So that's the way I look at it. So. To be given that opportunity that less than maybe 1% of Australians get to do, to go and represent your country, it's something that you, you just don't take lightly. And to be involved in that time, that era of Australian wheelchair basketball was was really special. You know, we were on the cusp of doing some really, really great things. We didn't know, I suppose, what we were going to achieve after Beijing, that ride that we got with the World Cups, etc., and, 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 and London. I think we lost one game in like four years. It was, it was incredible. And... But like I said, I like the way you actually said choice because it is, it's a choice. You, you choose to go and represent your country and, and when you do that, when you make that choice, you know, it's, it's your responsibility to make sure that you do everything to the best of your ability and in, in a correct way where you know, when you finally leave it, it's better than what you found it and that's what I think we've done. And that's a brilliant legacy that you have left and are still leaving in the sport, which we'll dive into a little bit further. Before we move on, mate, I just want to say welcome to your life of impact. Yeah, thanks for having us on the show. And, and look, obviously you've told me a little bit more about it and being my first podcast, pretty exciting. And I'm glad that uh, I'm making my debut on such a quality cast. Well, I'm glad to have you on it as a debut. I didn't realise that was your debut, but I'm proud to uh, announce that also. So we're going to teach you. Uh, we're actually just highlighted that you're about to dive into the rabbit hole of the podcasting world. <laughs> That's it. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm a bit scared, actually. It'll probably be the end of me. But anyway. <laughs> now, we're sitting here at your restaurant cafe here in Fremantle down the southern end of Perth for all those overseas listeners and I walked in and the smell of coffee was delicious and we've just been delivered from one of your lovely staff uh, one of your coffees and I'm enjoying that right now and the setup here is awesome I, I couldn't believe it there's and I love the decor it's just this old warehouse type setup it's brilliant yeah, I mean, a bit of the history. I mean, Frio's got a crazy history when you look at Fremantle as itself. A lot of people who don't know Perth think Fremantle's actually a separate part of Perth. It's still in the city, but it is its own little identity. Big Italian culture uh, down here. And it's where the first alfresco tables were put out on the street. But in saying that, it had a big horticulture and agriculture part to it as well back in the day. All the wool used to get sold here. So we're actually in the part where we're sitting now, which is a bit of a warehouse. This used to be where they used to make harvesters. Then it became a wool store. And then where the restaurant part set up was our old furniture store. And then it laid pretty much derelict for a while. And then we redid it. And yeah, using sea containers inside the, the building. 
to create separate parts and yeah so I suppose the history of this building it lives on in that way it's good and we'll move into your transition into business shortly but back to you as an athlete so you're a wheelchair basketballer you're a leg amputee which qualifies you to be a wheelchair basketballer can you take us back to how you became an amputee yeah I mean I it was really weird I mean I grew up in the country but when I come away to school just instantly fell in love with the ocean I suppose when you haven't had it in your life for so long to actually see the ocean like that I just loved it and trying to play football get a kick in the AFL I was down at Claremont and dad said look you know you got to pull your weight you got to get a job so I got a job working on the Rottnest ferries which is the big boats that go out to the island and mate great job you know it was before tinder and stuff so you had to actually go and talk to women and being an 18 year old on a boat dressed up as a sailor was great taking more to taking all over to the rock as we call it so yeah what better way to spend your summers and stuff and we worked hard during summer so that way during winter when there wasn't as much work I could concentrate on footy and unfortunately back then you know you sort of think the 90s weren't that far away but in comparison to what goes on with safety now it, it was light years yeah I just I'd done 37 and a half hours in two days so I was pretty tired still at work and we were having about 11 30 at night over at the island as we were leaving from the island to come back to to Fremantle put my rope uh, put my foot in the main mooring line of the rope as we we're taking a uh, pulling away and the, just the force of the boat pulling away cut my foot clean off like a, you know just like literally within a split second and uh, I looked down and my foot was gone went out through the side of the scupper hole and yeah I was in a bad place there for a bit doctors tell me you die within about five minutes just happened to have a, a paramedic response group from Argyle Diamonds on board and they did first aid with another lady from St John's Ambulance who shut off the main artery in my groin and a doctor from nowhere came down from the pub and administered triage and yeah, it was just one of those things. The first person they asked for ice up at the up at the bar at the island in case they found my foot, just happened to be my sister. So she came down and had to sit through it. But the good thing for me was the fact that I had family there with me straight away. And somehow they, two hours later, got me back to the Fremantle Hospital and, yeah, spent 12 days in hospital and checked myself out for Christmas Eve and uh, got on with life straight away. And I suppose it's a, a bizarre thing, but here we are sitting in a, in a restaurant in Fremantle. So for some reason... Fremantle's pretty special to me. You came back. And so you talked about it as a pretty big change in your life, obviously, losing your foot instantly like that. 12 days isn't long in hospital, and you said you checked yourself out. So I'm already hearing that determined mindset come through. What was it that made you want to just get on with life, so you say? Yeah, one of those things. I mean, anyone that spent time in hospital will know they're not the best of places. So I saw my foot go. So when I woke up and they... Can you had, remember this? Yeah, yeah, clear as a bell. You know, the first thing I said to a guy that grabbed me, a guy called Fridge grabbed me, he's just because he's a massive unit and he was keeping me sort of secure. And and when I say secure, I mean like by giving me a hug almost, you know, the security of a hug. And I'm saying, Dad's going to kill me, Dad's going to kill me. And he goes, you know, why? And I said, because I can't kick a footy anymore. So, you know, my, my whole mindset at that stage was I didn't mind flogging myself at work ridiculous hours because it meant that I could get it, go and get a kick in winter. So, I mean, I learned a good life balance story right from that. Too much work and not enough play type scenario. And just being too set in your ways on something. So when I was in hospital, because I knew my foot was gone, when I woke up, it wasn't shock. It was almost like, oh, shit, I'm still here. And, yeah, I'm, I'm alive. And, and so it wasn't like I had to get my head around that I'd lost my foot. I had to get my head around the fact that, okay, it's not coming back. Where are we going next? And the next thing was Christmas. And, yeah, I love my family and I wanted to spend Christmas Christmas Day more than anything with, with my family. And if I didn't check out Christmas after or Christmas Eve, I, I wouldn't have made Christmas Day. So... How long was it before you were walking again on a prosthetic? 
It was a while. I went back to work within 12 weeks on crutches. and I Back sat, to the boat job? Not the boat job, but to the office. And it was actually cool because I got an insight into what the girls went through on a daily basis. We used to give the girls grief about sitting around doing nothing when we were doing all the hard work. But they were taking some pretty nasty phone calls, etc. You know, and people complaining about this and that. And so I went there and learned how to deal with the customers and take the phone calls and got a really good insight. But the beauty was that I used to put my leg on the bin underneath the bench so no one could see it. And I used to go and do a few hours like that and slowly work my way back out onto the jetties and then onto the wine boats. But the wine boats you had to sing and dance and I can't sing and I was on one leg so I definitely <laughs> wasn't dancing. So the wine boats went for me and then, yeah, six months to the, literally six months to the day I, I walked down the jetty and got back on the, on the same boat and did the same job and Obviously, they changed the rope and done a few things like that. But uh, yeah, no, six months to the day back on the boats. Do you remember what it was like to enter the boat, walk down that jetty for that first time and only six months later? Like that yeah. memory that's... <laughs> you can see the goosebumps, the goosebumps are back. Look, there's a couple of things. There's a, I've got a couple of days in my life that I look back on and say, you know, I'm immensely proud of. And that was one of them. I mean, that, that's up there on par with winning the gold. The one thing I didn't want the accident to do was dictate my life even though in an obscure way it has it's sort of put me on the path to with the paralympics and everything but i didn't want to i didn't want to be scared i didn't want to i didn't want to say i'm not going to go back to work i was going to sit around and do nothing and feel sorry for myself and the way i'd i'd perceived in my mind was that i had to go back and at least do one day at that job you know i ended up getting my skipper's ticket and working back with the company for a long time yeah i just didn't want the accident to to dictate and control me as a person it's funny how you mentioned that that you know that mindset instantly there around not wanting it to dictate your life and that's what gave you that determined mindset and get you back out there but in actual fact it is what's created your life opportunities too yeah it's amazing i mean i've never actually really loosely decided said okay i'm going to go and do this but i've actually never had a massive plan for example when they when i got asked to go to italy i was like i wouldn't mind going for eight months playing for eight months in italy seeing what it's all about but i never really had any other plan 12 years later i come home it's just if you're on a good wave, you stick with it. Why get why why jump off? So, yeah, that that was how it sort of is. It was just like I wanted to go back there, and then what come of it, come of it. Now you, we talked before about the uh, the medals that you've won, and gold obviously being the 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 target one, of course, and the most pride, but being proud of your silver medals, and there's obviously world championship ones all tied in there. I believe that in 2013 that some of your medals were actually stolen. Yeah, harsh, real harsh. I was playing on the island of Sardinia off the coast of Italy. I was playing for a team out there called Sassari and we got a phone call from Giovanna, my wife's dad, saying a house had been broken into and they had literally, the house we bought used to be owned by a special service dude in Italy. So he'd cemented a safe into the wall for his guns and that's where the medals are in. And somehow they found it, realised they couldn't get it, so they pickaxed all the cement out. I don't know how long they'd been there for. And then put a charge in it and popped it. And, and they exploded. Yeah, underneath. If you see the photos, it's like this massive hole in the wall. And, and they just destroyed the, the bedroom house and everything. And they actually, what people don't know, they, they, they pickaxed around the window out the back and came through the brickwork. And then about a month later, they did the same at the front door. They, they knew they couldn't get through because the door was had like these massive bars that went through the top and the sides. It was a reinforced door. So they pickaxed through the wall. They just, they went through the actual, they, they took the bricks out of the wall. So if you've got people doing that, they're not going to stop at anything. And so I was really, I was really, really, really upset when they, when I knew my medals were gone. And it wasn't because 
they're my medals. They're sort of everyone's medals. When you go and see a, a, a group of kids at school or you go and do a talk with 30 or 40 adults and you pull your medals out and everyone's putting them around their neck and biting them and taking selfies, it's special. I, I get more of a kick out of that. I would never put my medals in a frame on a wall or anything like that because people just don't get to enjoy them. And, and I know how many people have helped me on my journey to get to where I haven't done it by myself and I'd be very arrogant to say that I have. And But a lot of people have had my back and helped me through and in every type of way, financially, helping out, doing whatever it might be, you know, just to get me to the starting line, so to speak. So when when they got stolen, that was a real heavy cut to me in the sense that something had been taken away from everyone. And the one thing that I got a lot of respect, I don't, I don't know how to say it, but one thing that sort of shocked me was the Italian community. When I say that, I mean mainstream TV, like we're talking like the equivalent of ABC, Channel 9, they all got behind it and did a call out around when an Italian-wide, national on the news, on the radio, in print, searching for the medals, saying if anyone knows anything about them, can we get them back? And and that was pretty special to know that I'd been living in a place for a fair while and, and the fact that that country had sort of not adopted me, but it actually got behind me and, and made a real conscious effort for a good couple of months to try and find them. So that was pretty pretty special and did they ever get returned nah, never never found them and then of course there was people back here Benny Ettridge was one I know of I don't know the rest but there was a, a little group got together and petitioned the IPC uh, and they reissued me with the medals if I'm not mistaken I'm the only one to have uh, only athlete to have his medals actually reissued so it's again a pretty special thing to have done and it's something I don't take lightly and the fact that the Minister Tuck Waldron at the time actually presented it to me at Parliament House here and in the city was just shows you, I suppose, the significance of it. And, yeah, something I'm very, very grateful for. Well, I have no doubt that the reason they would have done that is because, as you spoke about, those medals aren't just your medals, they're everybody's medals, and you want people to enjoy that. And you do a lot now for communities and younger people in wheelchair basketball. You do speaking engagements everywhere from school-age kids to corporate. Tell us a little bit about that in your life of a an athlete and what that means to you? I think it all comes back to when I was actually in hospital. So when I went into hospital, I only had my black pants on. Obviously, one shoe went with, with the foot, which is now, everyone reckons Rotto's now a foot deeper. <laughs> and the other docker they threw out at a, like a boy that I nearly hit one day coming across the island when I was driving. So I literally went in and I used my shirt as a gauze. So I had a pair of pants on, but in my pocket was the clicker that you count all the people on. So I'm laying in hospital, one of my older sisters, she's a bit morbid, she started counting everyone that had come to see me. But you only counted, got counted once. So everyone that come every day obviously got counted once. And I had 284 people come and see me in hospital in 12 days. And there was a lot of people that I didn't know to help me out, give me advice, just talk to me, just say, how you doing? Amputees, whatever. And, and I think from that, it stems from that. It's like, when I had my accident, and like I said, a lot of people have, have helped me get to where I am. And it may not be directly involved with wheelchair basketball. It might have been giving me a job when I needed one or, you know, just getting me from A to B. And so, you know, like when you're at home and the police come and they take your licence away because all of a sudden you're deemed as a disabled person you can't drive your car anymore. So all this sort of stuff. And I had people there all the time to help me. And I think if I can go out and talk to kids and or talk to corporates and they get an idea of, I suppose, what can, what's possible and, and what can happen, then yeah, why wouldn't I do it? Because I had that same 
same support and same help and same inspiration from people I didn't even when I was flat on my back in hospital. I like that you talk about what's possible and not what's probable. And I, from what I understand, you don't just talk about, so you, some of your corporate stuff, it's around work safety, which yep. makes sense. And I know a couple of other amputees that do the same thing over in New South Wales. Scotty Reardon being one, he talks a lot about work safety. He lost his leg in a tractor accident. So you can see the direct impact there. But I could see you being drawn to these other engagements more because you see the bigger ripple effect around showing people what's possible. Yeah, I mean, when you get a little kid, six, seven years of age, like I sort of think, oh, what am I doing talking to these kids? Must look at me like a granddad. And uh, yeah, but you look at them and they, they want to touch your leg and they, they've got no inhibitions at all. They, just, they want to touch it and they like freak out and they like love it. And then the next minute you're getting called Robocop. And, but if they walk down the street next time and they see someone in a wheelchair or they see someone and, and it's not what I hate, the amount of times I've seen a little kid turn around as he walks past and he sort of kept keeps walking with his head turned backwards and he walks into a bin or a pole or his mum gives him a crack around the ears for staring. Yeah, you don't want that. You actually want kids to be able to say, oh, yeah, look, there's, there's a Robocop man type of thing, you know, because so, they're thinking about, that. they know they've been exposed to it and it's not something that's weird or freaky to them. That's just becomes run-of-the-mill everyday life and 30-something percent of Australians have got some form of disability. So it is an everyday part of life and yeah, when, it, when you're talking to corporates so I think the biggest thing when I, I try and get across to them is just having the respect of listening to people's stories and, and giving them the time of day because you don't know how that person's going to influence your life and, and the, the example I use is that you don't go out to meet your girlfriend or your, your wife, you don't go out on a certain night but that's what happens, they cross your path, you meet them and next minute you don't know you're living in another country, you're living in another state, you're, you're changing your life and yeah, for the better and, and I said and so that's the example I use you don't know but how many times in your life you meet someone and then five years later or ten years later they come back into it and they change your life for a, for a certain way and that's what I try and get through to the the business side of things is actually just having the respect of of listening to other people and and seeing how that can benefit you and what you spoke about there with the kids it's their acceptance and understanding of disability and disability is normal in society like you said as opposed to being perceived as something weird and different that's a powerful trickling effect you spoke about we don't go out looking for our partners they might just cross paths you lived in Italy for 12 years you went for one you said and you came back 12 years later and I believe that's where you met the love of your life yeah it was weird she was Giovanna was doing a documentary on wheelchair basketball and when it was finished, the team they did it on was playing the team I was playing for. And they were like, oh, let's go and see them. They're playing in Rome. I was playing for Rome at the time. And she's like, no, no, I don't want to go and watch it. And it wasn't so much, yeah, she didn't want to go and watch it. She just didn't want to see people in chairs hurting themselves any more than they'd been hurt. So then she, and then when she came come and she saw it, she was like, this is crazy. Even though she had done the documentary, they hadn't seen a full, full-fledged game. And then she's watching it, she's like, damn, who's that bloke there? And at the end of the game, because we, we all knew each other, all the expats, we all went out together in Rome and they, the film crew tagged along and yeah one thing went to another and I, I sort of joke about I went to went to Italy with a backpack and a wheelchair came back with two dogs a wife and a house so it's, ama <laughs> it's amazing how things things change but yeah I've got my dogs out here now they speak Italian people look at me funny but <laughs> did the love ignition make the documentary was that part of the story no the it, it didn't it didn't it should have it would have would have done better I reckon no um yeah no it's just look it's one of those things and and, and you talk about sacrifice Shavana's been unbelievable in, in what I've done. She gave up her career in the media type scenario. They were doing mainstream films that, you know, you go and watch it on, on the cinema and stuff. So she gave up all of that to, to follow and, and support me in doing what we were doing. 
which has led to your restaurant here is a pizza restaurant yeah. and the other one is the same. So that Italian influence has obviously come through strong from both of you. Yeah, it's, it's like I said, I've never really gone out to create. I haven't had an idea and gone, oh, that's what I want to go and do. It's like an opportunity gets presented, I weigh it up and say, hey, it's not a bad, op- you know, not a bad option, let's give it a crack. We're actually doing a day of disabilities with Don Tapper. That was another part, another restaurant here because there's a co-op of restaurants in this building. And they, they asked us if we could have some Indigenous apprentice chefs at the time uh, doing the respect program. So they worked alongside Don Tapper's chefs. And then we had some wheelchair basketball set up the front out on the bricks as well. And then we also had some Aboriginal artists there, some elders that were teaching people. Anyone that wanted to come and try some Aboriginal art, they, they got taught how to do that. So it was like a bit of a, a cultural day, but it, it was really weird. It was, it was day of disabilities, but it was sort of everything. But the thing that we were trying to highlight was that two in three Aboriginal people have some form of disability here in Australia. And we were, I suppose, bringing some spotlight to that. Uh, Ryan Morich, who's captain of the Red Dust Healers wheelchair team, he was there, he did a welcome to country or acknowledgement to country and, and was sort of leading the day. Anyway, at the end of it, the owners of Don Tapper said, look, we're going to start up a new, a new venue. Would you guys be interested in doing pizzas? And I said, I've got no idea about pizzas. But like, it sounded like a good idea. I checked out the venue and worked out how we were going to do the pizzas and Giovanna was obviously involved and, yeah, that's where it sort of... So, inadvertently, wheelchair basketball actually was the launching of, of Munya Pizza. That's an awesome story. You must be really proud too to be able to integrate that the, the disability day into your story of the creation of this. How's business life for you as the transition point for an athlete? So here I was thinking that you were probably going to retire soon and I know that you're going into the coaching, but we had a little chat before this and Tokyo's still not out of the question, but how how is business... What's it like? Because you see some athletes and they dedicate their whole lives to their sport and then all of a sudden they get to the end and some people don't transition very well. But I see people like yourself who have, you've got your motivational speaking for kids and corporate, you've got your businesses here and your family. How much of this part of it is important to you for the transition? I think it's a, it's a big part. It definitely helped me come back to Australia. I was actually really, really stressed and, and scared about relocating back to Australia, especially because here in Perth, the boom was going on. So everything was like ridiculously expensive. And if you weren't in the boom industries, earning a hundred odd thousand a year individually, after coffees were 550 everywhere you went, go out for dinner, it cost you 50 bucks and rent was through the roof. And it was just weird. Like, what, like I said, it was daunting. So coming back was tough. And then when we started the business, you know, I sort of reflected on everything. And look, at the end of the day, business is just sport for adults. There's not a lot of difference between what I find and the mindset of, you know, I expect them to treat me. Then you're not going to go anywhere. It's like your teammates. If you're going to be a, the evil teammate, people are going to turn on you. So my whole philosophy, keep everyone involved. You give everyone the respect of, of what they're doing. We don't actually have a dish dog or we don't have... The only people that have really got a de- designated job is the pizza chefs. Other than that, you've got to be able to do everything. And I don't care if someone answers the phone in, in broken Italian English because, yeah, that's, that's part of it. It's an Italian pizzeria here in Australia. So at one stage for a long time, for the first year and a half, I was the only so-called Australian working actually in the, in the, in the company. So yeah, it's pretty cool on that. And, and so what I try and do is make everyone do everything. You've got to be able to wait tables. You've got to be able to prepare the garlic breads, the salad. You've got to wash dishes. 
and you've got to be able to do everything. If the boys need a hand at the end of the night, then you give them a hand. It always intrigues me to see whatever the transition is from an elite athlete, what they take with them from what they've learned in their sporting careers into whatever avenue they go. What you spoke about there, about that, it's like that camaraderie and that, that team environment, and you were a leader in your team. How much of that was instilled in you instinctively and how much of it was sort of coached into you for that? Yeah, when you look at back, and I would have, maybe 12 months ago, maybe a bit longer, I would have said a lot of it was instinctively you know, brought out. And when I actually sit down and think about it, you know, there was a fair bit of coaching. Murray Tresdor, who was the, my original, well, I won't say the original coach, but a coach that really changed and shaped the, the way wheelchair basketball was going here in Australia. And then Ben Ettridge. I mean, they were two very different coaches, but both very culturally strong in different ways. And the way they use me, I suppose, to be that bridge between the coaching staff and the, and the athletes was really different. But I got a lot out of both of them and I learned from both of them. And you never stop learning, especially in that role of being in leadership. You never stop learning. The, uh, the, the generations change. I'm, I was actually thinking about it. I'm actually into my third generation of players now. So when you're dealing with 17, 18-year-old guys, things change and the mentality change and all of a sudden you sort of feel yourself being that cranky old bugger that you never wanted to be, but it sort of comes out that way because it's just a whole different generations. Yeah, definitely those guys helped me a lot. Those two helped me a lot and helped me to be able to see when I'm probably doing things that maybe not quite the right way and also taught me the, to have that, to be humble enough to accept that, to take on board the positive criticism that's coming back and, and using that in a positive way to move forward and get the best out of everyone. Do you have mentors or coaches now in your business life, in your speaking life, in those areas? I do, in a, in a weird way. My business partner with Munya Pizza, he's from Rome as well and he's been a mentor in teaching me how to set up and, and how to go about, you know, just making pizzas and, and what goes into it. You know, the amore, the Italian amore and the love. And yeah, so he's been great and helped me helped me out a lot. But on the other side of it, I've got two very special people, Daryl Kickett and Tom Power, who, Tom Power's Red Dust Healing, an Aboriginal man from New South Wales, um, Central New South Wales, who's, what he does on a daily basis is, is unbelievable. I've never been through counselling in my life after my accident. I sat down with him for one day and I was in tears by the end of it. And that's when I said anyone that's had a disability needs to go through that course that he does. Anyone in general. It's What's just the course, sorry? Red Dust Healing. Talks on rejection. Uses, you know, the life tree and stuff. But rejection being maybe you've had a, a broken family. Maybe you've lost a, lost a loved one through death or could be that you've lost a lost a limb it's the rejection and rejection comes in all different forms shapes and you know sizes and it's how you deal with that and how a lot of people suppress it and that's when the anger comes out that's when you make bad decisions and it's learning to live with that and and how to move forward so that's where a lot of the red dust why we're called the red dust healers and the red dust healing um, if you look at his logo We've incorporated his logo into ours. That being the name of your wheelchair basketball team. Yeah, but one's with an EA and one's EE. So we use the Healer Dog as our logo, but it's a bit of a play on, on the background story of what goes on with it. When we go out, we tell our stories and we encourage other people to tell their stories and have the respect from one another. But yeah, Daryl Kickett, he's a, another, I won't call him an elder, I'll just call him a legend of a bloke. Aboriginal man from Fremantle just here. Really, really bizarre. He was born in Narragin, I was born in Wajin, which is about 20 k's away from one another. So both country boys and yeah, just sort of came together through the healers and whenever I need to have a yarn with, with someone on something, he's, his phone's always open. I don't think he's never not picked up and 
which is special. And he's just very, very softly spoken, takes his time as he hears what you need to say. He processes it. And yeah, he's just, he's really, really good. And, and just helps me, I suppose, I suppose understand life. And it's bizarre how you say it, but he just gives you the, the spin on something that you, you probably already know, but you're not thinking. And he just, he just takes away the clutter and, and tells it to you in layman's terms, and it's great. And that's what great mentors and great coaches can do, is just be there for a different perspective. Like you said, sometimes, often everyone knows an answer. It's within us, but we've just got to get it surfaced somehow. Yeah. And I feel like just listening to you talk about that rejection program there and what that did for you, and you, you said you never went through any help before, and that was fine because you had such a determined mindset and you got through it. But I feel like that's probably what that program did for you so many years later in your life, that it actually raised some answers within you that might have been subconsciously laying dormant and I feel like that's probably what's happened and also now I wanted to ask you things that you learned from that program do you then now have that in your tool belt to teach when you go out and teach kids or when people approach you as a mentor and you're telling your story yeah definitely one of the greatest things Tom Powell sat us down in Newcastle actually we're doing a combined event down there I'll put it that way and Tom gave me his USB key and said here's all my material take it run with it so that's someone giving him their intellectual property property which is hardly ever done nowadays and he he gave me that and kathleen o'kelly was with us at the time and so was tony wade and yeah we were all a bit choked up by it because we didn't expect it we'd been working together with him and stuff and then he actually changed one of his mud maps that he's got where he talks about all the different things and yeah, like the bird and fish and law versus law being, you know, the two different types of law you've got and how you go about your daily life. And, you know, one of the things he talked to me about was, and what really resonated with me was pride versus proud. And you swallow your pride. And the way he puts it into context is that you being a proud person is better than having too much pride and then ended up take, doing the wrong decisions because of it. And that really hit home with me. But, yeah, when he gave us that, it was special. So now when we go out, we actually implement that with the Red Dust Healers and win or lose, it's about respect and just treating people how you want to be treated. And, and especially with the kids, there's a, a thing that Tom talks about being jig, um, the jigging effect, which is jealousy, insecurity and greed. And the majority of the time, bullying comes about because of the jig effect that someone has an issue and it's usually because of one of those three things. And if they're pointing their finger at you, there's always three fingers pointing back at yourself. And that's what he, he taught us about that. So if someone's pointing their finger at you and giving you a hard time, it's normally what they don't realise is it's actually those things are coming back at them. And to have, to have that sort of stuff, have someone like that that's in your life that can balance that with you. If I'm having a bad time with organisations or whatever it is and I ring up Tom and I'm swearing and I'm carrying on and break it down and a lot of the time, I reckon 80% of it, it's the jigging effect and you just got to get your head around that and on you go. That's brilliant. I'm going to run with the jig effect. I'm going yeah. to uh, jot that down and put that into practice. Now, I'm all about action and I ask all my guests this uh, question on the podcast to help me and also the listeners implement something useful into their lives. And I'd love to know from you, Nessie, what's your advice on what specific action we can take and the listeners can take today to be more impactful in their own lives and in their communities? Don't bite off more than you can chew. Yeah, if you want to do something, set a small task and I know it's probably cliche with what I I think a lot of people want to do something really impactful and it's a great idea but it might be bigger than what they can handle so they don't get the result at the start or it doesn't get 
the momentum, the movement that it needs to to take off at the start, so it gets pushed to the side. I think if you if you want to go and do something, it's great, but do it in small steps. Get a win under your belt. Being it doesn't matter how small it is. You know, I talk about people that say, you know, you want to get active at home. You know, you're, you're not feeling active. I say, well, start with mowing your lawn. You don't have to do the whole garden. Just do one part. And when you actually do something, and you see the result, the positive effect it has on your mind and your well-being is huge. Is as small as it might be. and But when you see that, then the next time it gives you the confidence and it gives you the drive to go and do something a little bit more. So if you're looking... Because the one thing with community, if you if you start getting people involved and you're promising something and it doesn't come off, it, it's hard because it, it lets people down. People get behind it and all of a sudden they, they don't have that and they do feel a bit let down. And also you have the, the feeling of, the, of, of not having the success. I won't say failure, just not having the success that you might might have thought because even if you did a little bit you might have had an impact on someone so that's a success it's not a failure so start with something small nail it and then move on to the next part process process brilliant now before we dive into the fast five questions one of my top core values is giving and i always give my guests something and what i want to give you today is actually for your guests that come in or your customers so what i'm going to do i've got a voucher here and i'm going to shout the next 10 coffees of the people that come through so when we walk out if there's people lining up i'm just going to go and approach them and do it and if there's not i'm just paying for the next 10 coffees so the next 10 people that come through you have to say coffee's on us today it's coming from you so that's what i'm giving to you today thank you that's we might do it up at the mez i'll ring through and let them know and uh yeah, that'll be, that'll be quite special. Okay. And it's my sister's birthday today too, so I kind of felt like that was a, a fitting... Happy thing. birthday. <laughs> Deb, isn't it? Demi. Yeah, Demi, Demi. Happy birthday. Two-part question before we move on. So where can the listeners learn more about you? So your social media or website or anywhere you want to relate it to? Brad Ness, Brad Ness 15. You'll find me. So most of the social media stuff's Brad Ness 15. Or you can look up Brad Ness, the, the website, www. And yeah, you'll, you'll come across me. And I'll link those up in the show notes. And how can I and the listeners help you on your journey? What can we do to help you, Brad? If you want to get behind the, the Red Dust Healers, the Outback Academy, oh, look, it's, a, it's, it's become a passion more than anything now. Yeah, just love it. Want to see the movement going. So wherever they can get that out and about would be, would be helpful. And, and just have an open mind. And we'll share that too so everyone can get yep. behind the healers. All right, so the fast five questions. Yep. Don't give yourself too much time to think about it. We'll just <laughs> see right. what, what rolls off the tongue. What's one habit you wish you could change? Swearing. You haven't sworn in this one, so well done. Maybe it's the beginning of your habit change. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe it's because it's your first podcast. Oh, my best behavior. <laughs> Mum's listening. What makes you feel absolutely pumped and exhilarated and energized? Winning. Have you ever washed a dog? Several. I've got oh, many times. I've got two of them. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Be yourself. And what are you most grateful for in your life right now? My family. Nessie, you're a legend. You're another great example of the para-excellence grit and determination that it takes to excel in your sport and in life in general. Keep shining your impactful light to the world, my man. Thank you. And look, unbelievable opportunity to do this. And thank you for delving deep. Made my pleasure. This is just the beginning. I can imagine <laughs> Brad Ness will be on every podcast in the country soon. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks again. Cheers. What a true blue Aussie legend. After we turned the mics off, Brad was discussing in depth the impact they are making in the Aboriginal communities and the support and push through the healers programs that you heard him mention. He truly is passionate about this area. 
Make sure you check out the show notes at yourlifeofimpact.com forward slash Brad Ness to find all of Brad's social media tags and follow his journey online. If you like this episode, please jump onto your podcast app and give us a five-star review. This helps immensely for me to be able to continue delivering value to you. It doesn't matter what app you're using, whether it's Apple Podcasts, which is formerly known as iTunes Podcast, whether it's Podcast Addict or Stitcher or whatever it is. You guys subscribing and downloading each episode is what keeps this podcast alive. And also, please share with your friends, your family, your community, and everyone you believe will benefit from this podcast. Don't forget to give me your feedback on what you loved and what you want to hear more of, so what value I can help bring into your reality. Reach out to us on social media, so Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Life for Excellence. That's at L-I-F-E-F-O-R-X-L-N-S. And you can also find us at Your Life of Impact. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact.